Stem cell science is changing medicine and our understanding of human development. Learn more with the Stem Cell Channel. Visit uctv.tv slash stem cell. My name is Rob Signer, and I'm an assistant professor at UC San Diego in the Division of Regenerative Medicine. And I'd like to start out today just by uh, thanking CIRM for everything that they've done over the past uh, 16 years or so. And... Uh, to thank the organizers of this meeting and for inviting me and giving me an opportunity to speak today. So my role here today is to tell a story of how CIRM's success isn't only quantified by how quickly and effectively it has accelerated the development of stem cell treatments to patients with unmet clinical needs, but also how it's grown and shaped the field of regenerative medicine by investing in trainees. As you all know, following the passage of Prop 71 in 2004 and the subsequent establishment of CIRM, a first round of funding was issued in 2006 and included a series of training grants that provided funding to pre-doctoral students as well as postdoctoral and clinical fellows. And as a third year graduate student at the time at UCLA, I was a proud recipient of a CIRM pre-doctoral fellowship during this inaugural round of funding. The funding I received from CIRM was instrumental in my career development. It helped propel me through my PhD and helped me land a postdoctoral position in stem cell biology in Sean Morrison's lab which ultimately led me back to California, where I established my own stem cell lab uh, at UC San Diego. Now, the reason I included these pictures on this slide wasn't just to embarrass myself, but because it reflects a central focus of research throughout my career, aging. So what I'll share with you today is how that investment by CIRM in a graduate student 14 years ago has contributed to the development of a new aspect of basic stem cell biology that has some exciting potential for impacting treatments in patients with degenerative and malignant diseases. So the work in my laboratory focuses on how hematopoietic or blood-forming stem and progenitor cells regulate proteostasis. So what is proteostasis? Well, as a word, proteostasis is a portmanteau of the words protein and homeostasis. And the idea that there is a network of biological pathways that regulate both the content and quality of the proteome. These pathways include physiological mechanisms that control protein synthesis, protein folding, protein trafficking, and protein degradation. So why is proteostasis important? Well, the maintenance of proteostasis is really key to ensuring normal development, resistance to environmental stress, coping with infection, and most notably, healthy aging and lifespan. So quite amazingly, genetic or environmental interventions that enhance the capacity to maintain proteostasis will actually extend organismal lifespan in an evolutionarily conserved manner. That is, if you can improve an organism's ability to maintain protein quality, it will actually live a longer and healthier life. In addition, the loss of proteostasis is considered one of the hallmarks of aging, and the accumulation of misfolded proteins is associated with a number of degenerative diseases, most notably neurodegenerative diseases. And the reason that neurons are thought to be particularly susceptible to misfolded proteins is that they're long-lived cells that can no longer divide. And it turns out the best way to eliminate misfolded proteins is by dilution that occurs through cell division. So hematopoietic stem cells are also very long-lived and they divide very infrequently. So a central hypothesis that drives our research is that stem cells are particularly dependent on the maintenance of proteostasis and that disruptions in proteostasis contribute to stem cell dysfunction in aging. And overall, 
We favor the idea that mechanisms that confer organismal longevity are conserved at the cellular level to maintain healthy, long-lived stem cells. And one of the most fascinating things that I hope you take away from this talk today is that many of these mechanisms, which are highly conserved and essential, actually function differently in stem cells than they do in restricted progenitors or other types of cells. So my foray into this arena really began during my postdoctoral fellowship, where I adapted new technology that allowed us to quantify rates of protein synthesis within single cells in vivo. And when we applied this to the hematopoietic system, we found a couple of striking things. The first was, contrary to what most people thought, that protein synthesis is a housekeeping function that's performed similarly by most cells, turns out not to be true, and that different cell types really establish very different rates of protein synthesis that are each maintained at their own homeostatic level. The other striking thing that we observed is that hematopoietic stem cells have unusually low rates of protein synthesis, much lower than many of these restricted progenitors and differentiated cells. And subsequent to our work, low protein synthesis has now been shown to be a conserved feature of stem cells present, as far as I know, in every type of stem cell that people have looked at within adult tissues. So low protein synthesis isn't just a feature of stem cells, but is actually really important for their function. And the way that we figured this out was by using a set of genetic mouse models. The first is where we used a mutation in a ribosomal gene, RPL24, that reduced protein synthesis by between 30 and 40% in stem cells. We also used a mouse where we conditionally deleted the tumor suppressor P10, which is a negative regulator of the PI3 kinase and mTOR signaling pathways, which are known to promote protein synthesis. And then we crossed these two mutations together and found that they could mutually rescue each other. So the ribosomal mutation prevents the increase in protein synthesis that we see with the P10 deletion. And the P10 deletion partially rescues the reduction in protein synthesis that we see with the RPL24 mutation. And when we tested stem cell function within these mice, what we found was that even these small changes in protein synthesis had dramatic effects on stem cell function. So the way we measure stem cell function is by measuring their ability to reconstitute the blood-forming system of an irradiated mouse. And you can see when we transplant just 10 stem cells, the level of reconstitution we get from wild-type cells in the black line, the ribosomal mutant with reduced protein synthesis impairs the regenerative function of stem cells. The P10 deletion, which increases protein synthesis, leads to a total loss of stem cell function. But incredibly, when we put these two mutations together, they mutually rescue each other. And you can see that the level of stem cell activity that we get is comparable to the wild type. And so when I started my lab, we really wanted to understand why these changes in protein synthesis were so detrimental for stem cells. And we went back to considering protein homeostasis and that we had the idea that increased protein synthesis might increase the generation of misfolded or unfolded proteins. And so we needed a way to figure out how to actually measure these things within small numbers of hematopoietic stem cells. And so we did this using two different approaches. The first is where we measured levels of ubiquitolated protein. So ubiquitolated protein are proteins that are targeted for degradation and consist mostly of misfolded proteins. And you can see here, when we compare the level of ubiquitolated or misfolded proteins in stem cells, they have much fewer of these as compared to restricted progenitors. We then also adapted a cell permeable dye that allowed us to quantify unfolded proteins in these cells 
And similarly, the stem cells have fewer unfolded proteins than these restricted progenitors. Importantly, this was directly tied to the rate of protein synthesis. So going back to our genetic mouse models, we found that in our P10 deficient mice that have increased protein synthesis, well, they have increased misfolded and unfolded proteins. And when we block this with the ribosomal mutation, we block the increase in protein synthesis. We also block the accumulation of these misfolded and unfolded proteins. And so we really wanted to understand what happens in a stem cell when you accumulate misfolded proteins. And I'm going to tell you one of those small stories right now. And that is that you can activate a stress response pathway, of which there are several in the stem cells. And we focused on this heat shock response, which is actually the central pathway that regulates cytoplasmic proteostasis within cells. So under normal conditions, the heat shock pathway is relatively inactive because it's regulated by a master regulator transcription factor called heat shock factor 1, or HSF1. And under steady state conditions, HSF1 is sequestered in the cytoplasm where it binds to chaperones that assist with protein folding, things like HSP90 or TRIC. Now, under conditions of protein stress, these chaperones will actually bind unfolded proteins and allow HSF1 to translocate to the nucleus where it functions as a transcription factor to drive the expression of things like heat shock proteins that can help to restore proteostasis. So in stem cells, where there are very few misfolded proteins, we actually don't really see activation of HSF1. So when we look in the nucleus of young adult hematopoietic stem cells, HSF1 is basically absent. But when we start to look in aging stem cells, we can see HSF1 begin to accumulate within the nucleus of these older hematopoietic stem cells. And this is telling us that aging stem cells are starting to experience protein stress while they age. And Surprisingly, we found that one of the functions of HSF1 was to actually suppress increases in protein synthesis in aging stem cells. You can see that here that when we delete HSF1, the older stem cells show about a 50% increase in their rate of protein synthesis. So is HSF1 actually important for stem cell function? Well, when we look at young adult stem cells, Remember, these cells have very few misfolded proteins and they don't show activation of HSF1. We can conditionally delete HSF1 from our stem cells and see that there's no effect on stem cell regenerative activity, either in a primary transplant or a secondary transplant. But if we aged these mice out, when HSF1 becomes activated, now we can see that HSF1 is in fact important to maintain the regenerative function of aging stem cells. Now, in addition to this role in aging, we found an important role for HSF1 elsewhere that we think has important therapeutic relevance uh, as it comes to stem cells and, and stem cell transplantation. So one of the biggest limitations in the hematopoietic stem cell field for many years is that we've been unable to effectively culture these cells outside of the body. And we really don't have a good explanation as to why. And one of the things that we found is that a pathway that gets particularly disrupted when we put these stem cells into culture is protein synthesis. So you can see that within four hours in culture, hematopoietic stem cells have about a 700% increase in protein synthesis. And within 18 hours, that's about a 2000% increase, which if you remember, just a 30% increase in vivo is sufficient to impair stem cells. And consistent with what we saw in aging stem cells, 
our stem cells in culture also begin to start accumulating HSF1 within their nucleus. So what we did was to test if HSF1 is actually important for maintaining stem cells in culture. And we did this by culturing wild type or HSF1 deleted stem cells uh, for 10 days. And the way that we do this is to plate just 10 purified stem cells, culture them for a period of 10 days, and then transplant them with wild type bone marrow into irradiated mice. And you can see here that HSF1 deficiency doesn't impair proliferation of cells in culture, but when we transplant those cells, we see that the HSF1 deficient cells have a severe reduction in their reconstituting ability, telling us that HSF1 activation is actually promoting stem cell maintenance in culture. And so now that we knew that HSF1 is getting activated and is important for stem cell maintenance, we wondered if we could further enhance the activation of HSF1 to support stem cell growth in culture. And the way that we tried to do this was using small molecule inhibitors of HSP90 or TRIC, which remember these bind to HSF1 and sequester it in the cytoplasm. And we showed here that within cultured hematopoietic stem cells, that addition of these inhibitors does indeed lead to a significant enhancement of HSF1 present within the nucleus of these cultured stem cells. And so we did the key experiment where we cultured purified stem cells in the presence of either our vehicle or either the HSP90 inhibitor or the TRIC inhibitor, and then we performed serial transplantation experiments. And you can see in primary transplants, the addition of an HSP90 or TRIC inhibitor leads to about a two-fold increase in the regenerative activity of the stem cells. This is not actually due to stem cell expansion, but we think better maintenance of these stem cells. And the really big difference comes upon secondary transplant, where we now see a threefold or greater increase in the reconstituting activity of these previously cultured stem cells, indicating to us that the HSP90 inhibitor or TRIC inhibitor are really enhancing the maintenance of stem cell fitness in culture. Finally, I'll show you that the effect of these small molecules is in fact due to HSF1 activation. So if we repeat all of these experiments using HSF1 deficient cells, now all of a sudden the HSP90 inhibitor no longer has any effect on stem cell regenerative activity. And the same is true for the TRIC inhibitor. And the last piece of data that I'll show you today is that many of these mechanisms that we've observed initially with mouse stem cells are actually appear to be conserved with human stem cells. So when we culture human cord blood-derived hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells, we see that they also exhibit a rapid and massive increase in protein synthesis, and they activate HSF1. And I can tell you also that these small molecules have the same effect on human stem cells to enhance HSF1 activation, and we're excited to continue studying this in, in the context of human cells. So with that, let me just thank all the people that did this work, and in particular, leading our protein quality study was Lorena Hidalgo, a former postdoc, and leading our HSF1 study is a former postdoc, Miriam Akruta, and thanks to everyone, uh, all our collaborators, all our funders, and to CIRM for everything that they've done, uh, and thank you all for your attention. <laughs>